We are uh, actually in the middle of a series called God Cares More, a key word is more, God cares more about your money than you do. And if you're anything like me, when I hear stuff like that, I go, bull, right? I think, yeah, yeah, I think immediately think like, no, not as much as I care about whether or not I have or don't have money, right? He says, no, God does actually care more about your money than you do. We try to make sure it's not a bait and switch. We want you to know as a church that we're talking about money. I know that's not everybody's favorite subject, but we want to be sure it's clear uh, for you. I will give a couple disclaimers. First and foremost, not everybody in here has the same experience and understanding and teaching when it comes to money, when it comes to how God talks about it, what the Bible has to say. Uh, so we don't take anything for granted. We want to help teach you and help you understand. Uh, but at the same time, just know it's not a bait and switch thing. There are no special offerings. There's no financial campaign. I'm not raising money for a new building or anything like that right now. Like that's, that's not happening. Like I've been in, listen, I've been in churches where as they pass the plates, if they don't get enough to cover the bills, they pass the plates again. Okay. I don't know if you know those, those churches exist people. I'm just letting you know. Okay. So that's not our heart just here. It's not our heart. Our heart is to help you understand why. Why does God care more about this than maybe we actually think he does or actually even more than we do? And part of this is just my heart to help you understand that this is a keystone discipline. This understanding of money and the principles and, 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 and system that he put in place is something that for all of us to grow, even grow spiritually in our lives, there's some keystone things that we have to, we can't ignore them. We have to engage them. And then there's other things that fall in place in our lives. And this happens to be one uh, of those areas. And so I gave you a couple of uh, several stats last week. I'll just remind you of two of them uh, in terms of just what we see in Scripture. In the Gospels, uh, Jesus actually references money more than he references the eternal, you know, eternal uh, destinations of heaven or hell. So he actually references he actually references the kingdom of God the most, but right underneath that, he actually talks about money way more than we actually talk about. He actually talked about heaven or hell. And the Bible as a whole, this is just for you to know, as the Bible as a whole, all of Scripture, um, it's referenced over 2,000 verses. Over 2,000 verses deal with the reference of money. Prayer and faith, it's only a little more than 500 in terms of just that prayer and faith. And I know you'd so much rather have a series on prayer right, or faith. That's not what we're doing. We're actually talking about why does God care more. And that is the question. If, if, you, if you actually believe that's true, the only question you can come back with is why. Okay, Matt, why does he care? And here's what we gave you last week, and we're going to be talking about this in the series. This is the primary answer, because he wants to bless us to bless others, right? He wants to bless us to bless others. And today specifically, I'm going to help walk us through some of that language that gets lost sometimes in some of the, the teaching. I'm going to help you understand kind of the contrast between uh, the prosperity that some teachers and some people uh, claim that you as a Christian, you as a prince, you as a child of the king, the prosperity that you should be experiencing versus the understanding that you do serve a God, you follow a God who wants you to prosper. He wants you to grow and thrive and succeed. And it may sound like it's the same thing, but I can promise you it is not the same thing. Okay, and we're going to talk a lot about that uh, today. Last week we started... And I'm just going to give you two quick recaps because I can't give the whole thing. But we talked last week about money being the ultimate pursuit or the ultimate concern of our lives. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. Like money is a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter how much you make or you make or you make. I told you last week, 80% of the world, 80% of the world lives on less than $10 a day. 
And God's principles and God's decrees and God's instructions are for everyone, everywhere, for all time. Okay? They're for everyone, everywhere, for all time. Whenever you hear teaching that has a real, real American slant to it, I'm just telling you, just run away. Okay? Run away. Because that's not just solely looking at just the principles and necessarily the decrees and the instructions that God has given us. They're for everyone. They're for all, you know, everywhere, and it's been for all time. So this is one of those things that's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's not just about us. We're the exception to the rule in terms of most of the world, in terms of how much we make. And last week, again, we talked about because it's, money's not supposed to be the ultimate pursuit or the ultimate concern of our lives, because when it is, it becomes the ultimate. It becomes the master of us. And money is not supposed to be the master. Money is a much better servant and tool than it will ever be a master. Money is supposed to be, it, it, listen, it's a servant. It will, se- it will go where you send it, okay? Money will serve you if you actually view money this way. It's meant to be a tool to leverage, to, to use, you know, for the purposes that God has in your life and for the things he has planned for you and for his kingdom. So last week we talked a lot about this idea of mastery and just the ultimate pursuit that we oftentimes make it and the ultimate concern it actually becomes. Today I want to spend all my day, just all this morning, talking about what does it mean when we answer that question and say, why? Why? What does it mean that he wants to bless us and bless others? We're going to start with bless us, okay? And this, these are just words that I want to make sure you're aware of. This is words that Scripture uses. I'm not trying to, I want to give you some language lessons today. My goal today, just to let you know, is I have to teach you something. Uh, I'm going to take off the kind of preacher inspiration hat, which is usually my, my MO. I'd much rather inspire you to take the step that I believe God wants you to take so that you can see a work done in your life. That's just the way uh, I preach. But today I have to teach you something, right? The more you know, right? Knowledge is power. I have all the NBC cliches, okay? All right. You have have to learn to a certain degree some of the system that God created. And so my goal today, I'm going to try to keep it entertaining for you. If anybody nods off, I'll do a cartwheel or something fun, you know. Um, we're going to keep it exciting, but, but you do have to learn something. This is going to be stuff that maybe you were never taught, all right? And if you have been taught this, it might be something for you that just confirms, confirms the truth in your heart, because uh, as we'll see later on today, there's a lot of things in our lives that become rules and obligations, and we forget the why behind it, okay? So today, as we talk about this idea of blessing, I want you to hear this. God has created a system for all of us to live into, to experience the fullness and blessing of God. When it comes to money, okay, when it comes to money, there are people in this world that do not claim to be Christian, who actually understand the basic principles that God created in terms of the system of money and giving And they are already experiencing probably even some more of the blessing in their businesses and in their life than you might be experiencing as a child of God. Because they understand the system. Now, it might not be the fullness, may not be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but it's a system that works because God's a God of order. He created a system for us that if we would just do what his principle says, if we just live according to his instruction, it works. Okay? That's the system that he created. For us, for, for, for people who claim to be followers of God, this system, God established a system of money that was around giving. And it had several different purposes. Uh, first and foremost, it was a response for us. Maybe you've heard talked about sometimes giving is worship, right? It's a, it's a response to God out of gratitude. It's a worship response in our hearts. Sometimes people would pass the plates in churches as a time and during their time of worship. 
It's also, as we talked more about it last week, it helps us set our priorities straight. Okay, God created the system to help us kind of align the priorities of our life. And as we're going to talk more about it today, it actually fuels ministry. And from the beginning of time when it started till now, it continues to do that work. Like it has a purpose behind not just the blessing, but the idea that we want to bless others. This is the system that God created. And I'm giving you some language lessons, all right, some language lessons that you'll, you'll see all throughout the day, just to make sure you know. Um, you'll see this word used several times today, and it's called tithe. Okay? Tithe. It's not a tithe. It's not a today, you know? It's tithe. And it's seriously, it's just a literal translation of tenth. Everybody say tenth. Yeah, it's just a literal translation. Now, churches use that word all the time about tithers and tithing and tithe proficient and tithe, you know, tithe challenge. They'll, they'll use it all the time. There's other words that kind of, you know, in scripture that you'll see firstborn, uh, the Lord's portion set apart. These are all things that kind of go back to this original idea of a tenth, which was they call it a tithe, which was just a tenth. That's all that it means. Now, there's other times that you will see the word offering. And, and it's not exclusive to money, but money was a part of it. When you see the word offering, because ministry, that's what churches use, is the word offering, it usually means something, doesn't matter if it's money or whatever, it was always something that was sacrificial, okay? So anytime you see a, a, the word and phrasing about a gift, a gift that was given or a gift that was received, there's a sacrifice involved in the gift, which is kind of why they use the word offering instead of the tenth or the tithe or the first, uh, first fruits, okay? So there's some little bit of, of difference there. So today what I want to do, and I'm going to try to do this fairly quickly, I'm not going to read all the verses, but I want to walk you through systematically kind of where this stuff starts to show up in the Old Testament, what plan God had for it, and how it shows up in the New Testament, and some of the language that changes, but some of the language that remains the same so that you can understand the system that God has created, okay? We'll go all the way back to Genesis. This is Adam and Eve and their kids, Cain and Abel, okay? So this is after the fall. This is after the, the curse of man and women. And we go on to see that they said uh, they grew up, and it says Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So he was more of a, a farmer. And it says when it came time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops, right? Some of his crops as an offering. Some of his crops as an offering to God as a gift, and then it says, but Abel also brought a gift, but it was the best portion of the firstborn lamb of his flock. And it goes on to say that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And, and what's kind of related there through the oral tradition of history, which you know, Moses is the one that's actually penning this and writing this down through the Holy Spirit, is that, look, there was, there was something that happened there. They responded to God for the blessing of their life. But the problem is, is that he's, a de, he's delineating the fact that, hey, you know, listen, Cain, Cain kind of gave an offering or a gift of some of what he produced. But Abel distinctly made sure that he gave him the firstborn. He gave him the best portion. Okay? That's a lot of where even tithe and, and all that comes from. It came to be the best portion as well. A little bit later on, you see the father of, the, of our faith, which is Abram. Abram was raised as a moon worshiper, like his whole family. He was a family of moon worshipers. And uh, he actually hears the voice of God who says, go leave, leave your country, go to a country I'm calling you to. He begins to follow God, and he's growing his family, and he's encountering different things along the way. And then one encounter, and specifically, he actually meets a priest of God who he'd never met before. 
We, this is the first time it shows up in the pages of, uh, of history, in terms of Jewish history. And his name is Melchizedek. All right, so this is in Genesis 14. It says, Melchizedek, who was also a king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, he brought Abraham some bread and wine. This is after an engagement that Abraham had had with some folks that were against him. And Melchizedek blessed Abram with his blessing. And here's what he said. He said, blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. This is the blessing that the priest gives Abram, that God actually helped you accomplish what you just accomplished to defeat your enemies. And then again, you see this response come out. You see this response where it says, and then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he'd recovered. That was very common in those days when you defeated someone else, that you would you know, kind of sack and, and take all their stuff. He said, no, he gave back. He, he gave as an offering, as a gift, as a tithe, as a tenth, what he had recovered. Now, later on, again, this is all Moses writing this down. Later on, when God gives the law to his people, when he gives the law to his people, now I want you to remember that the law was given to God's people not to be restrictive. Again, we sometimes think law like that's to restrict, that's to contain, that's to control. God gave the law to the people, to his people, because they had four, all they had known was 400 years of slavery. They knew how to be good slaves. They did not know how to be free. And so the law was given to help them understand and experience and live in freedom. And here's some of what is stated in the law as Moses helps them understand what God's principles and decrees and instructions are when it comes to this idea of giving and this idea around money. He goes on to say that a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. Holy is just that word to set apart. It's set apart to the Lord. And he goes on in Deuteronomy, or yeah, that was Leviticus, this is Deuteronomy. He says, no one should appear empty-handed, right, before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift, this proportion, this offering, in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. This actually echoes some things you'll see in the New Testament. That, you know, that, that, that listen, everybody's, you know, been blessed differently. You have 12 cows, you have 18 cows, you know, that kind of thing. And so he said, hey, you're supposed to do this. This is all done not as some sort of strict rule and, and this is amount, this is the only amount that pleases God. He said, no, in proportion to how God has blessed you, you're supposed to help, you respond, give back. You're supposed to do this to him. And yet, actually, a little bit later on, Solomon, Solomon, who's the second king of Israel, uh, sorry, he's the third king of Israel, but he's after David. He goes on to, he's the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus. He goes on to share a lot in the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes about how we understand money, because he was extraordinarily wealthy. Solomon was one of the wealthiest kings in history. And he says this, I love this, this is in Proverbs 3. He actually says this, he says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with everything, with your first fruits. That's another, another description of the tenth and the tithe. Of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Solomon actually, in his wisdom, says, listen, this is a system, guys. This is something that God has created. When you do this, when you honor God in the system that he's created, there's a response from God. There's something that just happens. There's something that works in your favor when you live in and engage in the system he's created. Now, here's, here's the problem. As with the law, as with any rule, and I said this earlier, we can oftentimes get caught up in the rule and the obligation and forget why we're doing what we're doing. 
Listen, I guarantee you, anybody in here that was raised in church, you did some stuff and your church did some stuff that was just weird and you don't know why they did it, right? You don't know why. It was just part of their tradition. It was part of the liturgy. It was part of how you were raised. But you don't really know why. They just said, no, it's just supposed to be that way. And nobody bothered to explain it. Well, that's the problem is that it becomes a rule and it becomes all about the rule and not about the heart and the why and the bigger picture of what you're, what you're doing. And Jesus himself has this encounter. This is what I love. Jesus himself actually engages in this encounter with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the day who have taken God's law, God's law for freedom. They have taken it and followed certain rules to the T, but forgotten the big picture. Here's Jesus' encounter when he says, woe to you. This is to the Pharisees and Sadducees, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth, you tithe off your spices, your mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. And then Jesus says this afterwards. He says, you should have practiced the latter, this justice, this mercy, this faith. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus wasn't trying to wipe out that, hey, those things don't matter anymore. The law doesn't matter anymore. These things that, that, that were the system that God created still exist. It's still for you. But you've made it all about the rules. I mean, you, you, are, you are stinking tithing your spice rack. That's ridiculous, Right? Like spithing your little, your little, your little uh, spice garden to the 10th meticulously, but you've forgotten the bigger picture. You've forgotten the why. You've forgotten the bigger picture of God's plan and systems that he created to accomplish justice, mercy, faithfulness. I love the way Paul actually says it to Timothy. This is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament where Paul's helping Timothy as he trains and, and teaches God's people how they're to view this, this money, how they're supposed to respond, how they're supposed to live in accordance to the system that God's created. And he actually says it this way in 1 Timothy. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. There's a purpose for it. Again, it's a servant. It's a tool. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. It says, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. And that's, where, that's the language you hear in the New Testament, your new life in Christ, experiencing the fullness of God in this new life, this full life, this experience of God. But it doesn't really uh, change. It's still the same heart and meaning as some of the language used in the Old Testament when it comes to what happens when we live according to God's commands, when we live according to his principles, when we engage in the system that he's created. Okay? That's, it's very simple. Now, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament with some language here just to help us again understand that there was a process, there was an outcome, if you will, that even Solomon referenced it, that when you do this or you don't do this, there's going to be a consequence. There's going to be an outcome of whether you choose to live according to the system that God's created or not. And the words used, okay, the words used in the Old Testament specifically were blessed, this with, talking about first fruits and tithes and generosity, the words used were blessed, a blessing, blessing of God, or cursed, living in a curse, living under a curse, experiencing a cursed 
life. And I can promise you, and this goes back to some of the teaching we're doing today, I guarantee you that at some point in your life, you have misunderstood what both of these things mean. Now, Christians, just in general, we tend to always think blessings like a bonus, you know, something great happened in my crappy week, you know, hashtag blessed. Like that's, that's, we tend to think like it's a bonus on top, right, of just the misery. And we sometimes view curse, we sometimes view a curse as if God hates you and your sin more than he hates me and my sin. So he's cursing you. Or you're experiencing like a curse in an area of your life, whether it's financial or sexual, uh, your sexuality or in your friendships or in your business or in your relationships. Like, like there's areas of your life in which you could be experiencing sort of what you feel like is a curse. And it's not because God's going, no, I, I'm, I'm choosing this in you to curse you. Again, we've, we've, we've kind of misunderstood these two things. So let me give you two biblical kind of examples of these two things to help you understand it as best I can. The curse really is, uh, uh, the curse in Scripture most of the time, I will say there are a few exceptions, but most of the time the curse that people experienced just simply had to do with the fact that they were living outside of the system of God. They were living outside of, they, they basically said, we have a better way of doing it than God's way. And the, and the curse was just what the result was. It was what they experienced. Let me give you a quick example. This is uh, God's people. They, were, they had returned to their homeland after all the judgment and after all the stuff you read in the Old Testament narratives. They'd returned to the homeland. Nehemiah had already built the wall. They had some, Ezra had gone in. The, the, uh, the people had gone in. And they'd gone back with commands on what they needed to do next. And Haggai the prophet is sent by God to challenge and help connect the dots for his people. Let's, let's go to Haggai. Here's what it says. It says, the Lord of heaven's army says that the people, the people of God are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It says, so the Lord sent his, this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious homes while the, my house lies in ruins? Now, this is just the, the, the precursor question to how God's going to connect the dots. This is not an issue of luxurious homes. I think I live in a luxurious home. Probably not. But, you know, I don't think he's against that. You have to understand that he says, hey, this, I'm going to ask a question that has to deal with the heart of what you don't even know is happening. Why are you living in such a luxurious home while well, my house lies in ruins? And here's what he says. Here's God through Haggai. He says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you, right? You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes. All right? Can I get an amen at all on that? Like, that's, listen, there's some language in the Old Testament that we don't understand sometimes, but that's a picture we get, right? We've all experienced at some point in our lives where the money going in went out just as fast as it was going in. And that's what he's saying. He, but he's connecting the dots. Haggai's saying, hey, do you not see what's happening here? Look at what you're experiencing. He goes on to say, you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor, and, and you brought your harvest home, and I blew it away. Why? This is rhetorical. <laughs> this is rhetorical from God through Haggai. He says, why? Like, you, you did this, and I blew it away. Why? And then he goes on to say, because my house lies in ruins says the Lord. This was the command that they were given. He said, my last laws in ruins of the heaven's armies, while you are busy building your own fine houses, while you are distracted with your life, 
What I've asked you to do is not getting done. So then he says, and it's because of you. Consequence. It's because of you that the heavens withhold their dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for a drought on your fields and hills and a drought to wither the grain and grapes. He goes on to say, and all the trees and all your other crops and, and a drought to starve you and your livestock to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. He wants to make it very, very clear that no, this is, you are currently experiencing life without God. And as a matter of fact, God is helping you understand the consequences of what that looks like. To understand the, kind of the big picture of what cursed means, what living a cursed life looks like, feeling like you're under a curse is really just the absence of God. I don't know if you knew this or not, this is a great example, but did you know that darkness doesn't actually exist? Darkness doesn't actually exist. There is no such thing as darkness. It cannot be seen, it cannot be quantified, it cannot be measured, okay? Darkness is simply the absence of light. Light can be seen, light can be measured, light can be quantified. Darkness can't. So sometimes we begin to think, because of our language and our church culture and that kind of thing, we begin to think and use words that the darkness is overtaking someone, or the darkness is attacking you, or the darkness is, is, is doing this, or you're experiencing darkness because it's against you. And I'm just telling you, the darkness may not be actively anything. It's just that you have chosen or made some choices that you are living without light, right? You're, you're living in the absence of God. You're living outside of the principles and the decrees of God. So that, to me, again, there's some other, you know, exceptions, but the majority of the time when you see this, you need to understand it's because of this. So, so when you and I begin to experience financial struggles, and we feel like we're being cursed, right, we feel like nothing's going our way, there's a question that needs to be asked. Is it really that nothing's going our way and something is against me, or is it because I've chosen a better, I've chosen a path that I think is going to work better than what God has called me to do, right? Could be that way phys physically with intimacy and your sexuality. Like you could be experiencing some real devastating consequences in your life that you feel like God's against you, but you decided to do, live outside God's plan. You decided to live in a way that you had a better idea and a better plan to live your life than God had for you. So you're going to experience that. I'm just letting you know, that's the majority of time how we need to understand curse. But it's just outside of God's plan. It's the absence of God in your life. And blessing is so much more than a bonus, guys. It's so much, listen, it's just, I've, I've read the social media. I've so much more than, I got all green lights on the way to work today. There was no traffic on 77, hashtag blessed, Right? It's so much more than a bonus. It's so much more than just something good happening in your track of not, not, nothing good happening. Experiencing the blessing of God is what he wants for you. It's that, it's that language that Paul used with Timothy, that you can experience true life. And I love this, this Old Testament example. If you've been around Journey, you've heard me use this. I love this example, where this is a, during the time of kings. We're going to go to 2 Chronicles. It's during the time of kings and Hezekiah is leading the God's people through a financial, like, economic depression. And he's, you know, looking at the Torah, and he's looking at the first five books of the Bible, and he's probably reading some, some notes, you know, in terms of, of Solomon's notes, in terms of other kings. And he's actually discovering that there's some things in the law, there's some things in God's word that they're not doing. 
especially when it comes to money, when it comes to this, this idea of tithing and first fruits and offering. And he's noticing that. So he goes to the priest and he goes to God's people and he says, we need to get back to this. And I love this story. I love this example. This is the second uh, Chronicles. It says, when the people of Israel heard these requirements, this is what was read in the law, they responded generously by bringing the first share, right? The first share of their grain and their new wine and their olive oil and their honey and their produce of their fields. It says they brought a large quantity in. It was the tithe. Okay, so it wasn't everything. They just brought the tithe in. But it was, they weren't doing it. So now it seems so much. It's a large quantity of all they produced. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves, they brought in the tithe of their cattle and their sheep and their goats. It says the tithe of all the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God. And they piled them up in a great heaps. And they began piling them up in late spring. And the heaps continued to grow until early autumn. Now, we don't get honey and cattle and all that stuff, right? So just, just picture like a treasure room, like, you know, National Treasure movie, right? Just picture like the, a vast treasure room filled with money and gold and whatever else you find valuable, right? That's the heaps they're talking about. They just see they're just piling up all this stuff. And it says, when Hezekiah the king and his officials came and saw the huge piles, they see the treasure room, they see it, they, they thank the Lord and his people Israel. And I love this question, this is the king. Where did all this come from? He's talking about the heaps, he's talking about the piles. Where did it come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and the Levites. And it goes on to say, that Azariah, the high priest from the family of Zadok, replied, hey, since the people began bringing their gifts, their offering, right, their first fruits, their tithe, to the Lord's temple, we have had, read that word out loud, we have had enough to eat and what? Plenty to share. Like, we've had enough to eat and plenty to share, and I love this, this is the, the high priest back to the king, he says, the Lord has blessed his people. And all of this is what's left over. King, you're impressed with the heaps. You're impressed with the pile. That's fantastic. That pile doesn't actually even represent what we've already enjoyed, what we've already used. Like we've had enough and plenty to share and left over. And that is what's left over after we've already been blessed. And so for, for all of us, I just want you to, if there's anything I could ever sear into your brain it's these two words to help you understand the blessing of God in your life, no matter what it is, financial, grace, salvation, mercy, doesn't matter. When you begin to think about the blessing of God, when you begin to think about what he has for you, these are the two words I want you to remember. To be blessed is, read it out loud, enough and plenty. So everybody say Enough. No, say enough like you've had enough. Say enough. enough. Yeah. You know what enough means? You know what enough is? Enough is satisfaction. Enough is feeling and being satisfied and at peace and content with your life, with what you have, with what you're experiencing. That's what enough is. That, the, that as the psalmist said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Right? I'm not even in want. That's what enough is. And that is what God has planned for you. That is the blessed life that he has created a system for all of us 
to experience, to have enough and plenty. Everybody say plenty. No, like you want plenty. Say plenty. Yeah, plenty. You know what plenty means? It means more than enough, right? The psalmist, my cup overflows. Solomon, the barns are going to burst out. It's going to be over the rim. Like that's what it means. It means that there's not only enough that we're satisfied, but there's more than enough. There's plenty to share. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty to bless others with. That's what blessing means. That's what blessing in your life means. That's what blessing financially means. That's what blessing in the grace of God looks like. That's what blessing with salvation looks like. It's not to keep you to have a hole in your heart that you feel like you've got to constantly try to fill and get more of God. No, 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 no. God blessed you with all of those things so that you would feel like you had enough and plenty to share with everyone else. That's how God works. That's the only way God works when he wants to bless his people. Now, this isn't just to bless us. Again, going back to what we talked about earlier. It's not just to bless us. There's a purpose in all of this. Why does God care more? Because he wants to bless us. Go ahead to the next one. He wants to bless us so we can bless, what's the word? Others. To bless others. There's a purpose for this. It is not a give to get, which is a lot of prosperity teaching. It is not a, listen, if you just give me a dollar, I'll give you 10 back. How's that sound? Good? You know, again, this is, this is a God who wants you to prosper, who wants you to grow, who wants you to thrive. But the goal in the giving is not to get. The goal in the giving is so that you can continue to give. Oh, there's receiving involved because he wants to bless us. But he wants to bless us to bless others. Again, I love this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth and helping them understand, uses some of the language around this idea of giving and and he actually references the blessing in a little bit of a different way, but same words. He says, remember this, that a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. That's just logic. He says, you must decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. Again, Paul's just like, don't, this is not an obligation for you to, that is a burden. This is not something about the rules. Okay, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves someone who gives cheerfully, who comes, who does it out of the give to give, out of the enough and plenty. And he goes on to say, God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have, read those lines, everything you need and what? Plenty left over to share with others. Okay, again, newsflash, this is God's system. This is his plan. He goes on to say that God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So in the same way, he's going to provide and increase your resources, and then he's going to produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those in, who need them, they will thank God. There's Again, there's a purpose to this. He says there are two good things that will result from your ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. There, there's, there's action that happens when you begin to bless others, when you follow this system, when you engage in the, in the principles and the instructions of God. Not only do you experience the enough and plenty, but that plenty kind of overflows and helps you accomplish the work of the kingdom. It helps fuel the ministry that we need to do locally and globally. 
And that's the way it's been since Genesis all the way till now. It's always been the purpose of God continuing to bless you so that you can bless others. Here's just some of the ways we give back. Here's some of the resources of the church. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the resources of the church, like people are the primary resource of the church. It's not money. It's people. That's why we are the church, right? Capital C. We are the church. It is the primary resource that God uses to accomplish his mission in the world is us, the people, using their gifts and talents and what God has blessed you with already to bless others. And he does use money. That's a principle, again, going back to the system of how he used it within the church context and the temple and everything. There's an aspect of this that fuels ministry. That's money. Money makes a, a, meets a, a literal need, not just a spiritual need. It meets a literal need in people's lives. And the other thing that we give back is just opportunities. Listen, one of the resources that God gives us is opportunities that he might not give anyone else. He may not give others. I talked about the priorities last week about those who give and save and live, but those who give and they save, they don't save because they're worried about not having enough. They save because they're waiting for opportunities that God's going to bring them later to be able to bless others. That's the opportunities we have to make a difference in this world, not just make a point, right? That's the opportunities we have. And I'll just give you, I've read this list before, maybe last year, the year before, but let me just give you some context when it comes to money what God sees versus what we see. What God sees when it comes to the system he created to be able to accomplish, not just to bless us, but to bless others. That in most churches around the world, this was a study done about two years ago, two years ago, about 2016, yeah, two years ago. This was a study done that said that really depending, it doesn't matter about the church size, but I can give you some context there. But in an average church congregation, in a church like ours, that people who tithe, people who get this system, the full, the 10%, the first fruits, they, they understand the full system of what God planned for them. At, that number is between 10 and 25% who tithe. Not who give, but who tithe. That's 10, and believe it or not, don't envy the larger churches because the larger the church becomes, it actually drops in number. Okay, the smaller churches might experience the higher end of that. Larger churches probably experience the lower end of that. I've even heard stories where it's much lower than that. Now, here's what God sees. What he sees is a system that he created that honestly, he knows between the people and the money and the opportunities that are at our front door, he looks at the potential of what people can do. And when they did this study, they said, look, you know, if everyone got this, if everyone understood the system God created and engaged in it, not only would they experience the enough and plenty, but when it comes to just money, there would be 165 billion, what's the word? Yeah, I'm going to say it again. There's 165 billion what? More. More. More than what we already have, more than what we're already doing, more than what we're currently leveraging to use for God's kingdom. More. Let me read you a few stats of what that could do, Okay. Let me give you some statistics. For 25 billion, we could eliminate, we, sorry, we could eliminate global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in under five years. That's 25 billion. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in under five years. 15 billion could solve, period, solve the world's water and sanitation issues. 
Clean water for everyone. Okay? 15 billion. Not over five years. Solves it. One billion could fully fund every missionary work across the globe. One billion. One billion could fund it all. And guess how big the heap is that's left? The pile. It's 110 billion. The pile, the heap of what's left over after just meeting those needs is $110 billion, of which we get to make an actual difference with the opportunities that God would give us where we live, work, and play to see the kingdom expand and to see God do the work he's called us to do. So why does he care more? Right? Seriously, why does he care more than you do? If you, if you haven't wrestled with this question yet, I hope you do at least today or through this series at some point. Why does he care more? Why is he in your business? What difference does it make to God what you do with your money that you worked for and that you earned and that you've collected and you've saved and that you've, you've struggled for and stressed for and, and gotten training for? Why is God in your business? I hope you remember these two things. Because he wants you to understand who your master is. And when you do, he's going to use it to bless you, to bless us. We get to experience that. Everybody say enough. Everybody say plenty. That's the life he wants for you. Listen, that's the life I want for every single person who's here to live with that kind of satisfaction and that kind of peace and that kind of more than enough that they always have the opportunity to share with others. Because he wants us to bless others. He wants us to fuel ministry. I'm not talking about just the church ministry. He's talking about the mission across the globe, the kingdom of God. That's why he cares so much. That's why he cares more than I think sometimes we do. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this system that you created. And God, I'm so, I really am thankful that you are, you are a miraculous, all-powerful God who can manifest something from nothing. I'm so thankful for that. But God, I am really also thankful that you create systems, you create with your principles and instructions, things that we can actually understand, that we can actually follow, and actually see what you've already promised us come to life. God, I pray that everyone here and listening later would understand that the blessed life, this blessing of, of having enough and plenty is a promise for every believer who will engage this system, who will respond in worship, who will set their priorities straight, and who will begin to not just be blessed, but bless others and fuel the ministry of your kingdom. God, I pray that that would be something every single person in this room could experience. And God, by your power, by your Holy Spirit, would you just, just already begin to work and help people that are just, they've, they've got so many hurdles, they've got so many questions, they've got so many obstructions in their way that they've justified to continue to live their life their way. God, would you just, by your Spirit, help them take a step towards you and I know, God, that when they do, that you will in turn meet them there. God, we're trusting in you for all of this. We're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.